Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. This episode is about the future of HMIs. HMIs by means of human-machine interfaces, basically everything that is uh, allowing the communication between a human, a user on one side, and a technology on the other side. Focus uh, will be on cars, on vehicles, on mobility devices, But uh, the basic ideas I will talk about, uh, they count for other technologies, for other applications, for other use cases as well. So it is a certain automotive view in this one, but uh, we will have more than enough examples from other areas. And um, I believe uh, you can you can apply um, the ideas uh, in any context where humans and Machines interact with each other. When I started working in uh, HMIs, uh, the entire idea of the communication or the shaping of the communication, the design of the communication was limited by, by technology. So in the early days, it was not possible to have a color display, to have a display above a certain size, let's say five inch, six inches, seven inches. And um, also the adaptability, um, the flexibility, things like animations and, and um, artificial intelligence, not to talk about. All that was not possible 20, 25, 30 years ago. And uh, so the idea came up that uh, we have to teach humans to learn technology. So We had these handbooks, we had these uh, uh, classes, courses you could attend. We had help files. And uh, so at the very end, we forced the human to adapt to the technology. And one of my basic ideas, one of my basic visions, one of my basic missions is it to shape technology so that it fits to the human and not vice versa. Now, with the latest uh, technological developments, um, larger displays are available to acceptable prices. Uh, we have uh, capacitive touchscreens. Uh, we have processors. We have graphics, graphic processing on a very high level. Um, that has changed. Um, so today um, we have a far higher flexibility of technology. We have more options in the technology, more chances to do things 
And uh, so the entire thing turned around in the past, let's say, 20 years from a limited bottleneck thinking to an, uh, to an overflow thinking that we have. So it's going to be three points I will talk about. It's uh, three aspects of future HMIs, of future human-machine interfaces that I will talk about. And um, the first one is humanizing HMIs. The growing technical possibilities that we have, um, the abilities that we have there, um, will change, is changing, and has changed the communication between humans and technology towards a more humanized communication. The benchmark for a human-to-machine, machine-to-human communication is a human-to-human communication. It's like a face-to-face talk that we have uh, with with other persons. This means that We use all channels for information transfers with all means, with all multimodal abilities that we have. So we have, um, when we talk to each other and and acoustic, acoustically uh, exchange, we, somebody says a word um, or words or a sentence and the other person um, understands this, listens to this, understands this and reflects this and and, and then uh, says another sentence. So, This is a typical way of of human-to-human communication. But we're not only having the acoustic channel here, we also have the visual channel here. We we see the other person and we see his or her body language. We see um, the facial expressions. Uh, We understand, all right, this sentence was meant to to mean the exact opposite of what it sounds like because it was sarcastic or ironic. And we can see this very often from postures or from facial expressions. So the visual channel is, is a very strong one in human-to-human communication. And um, then we have the haptic channel. I mean, uh, we touch other people, we shake hands when we meet. In Spain, uh, they hug and kiss, uh, or in general, in most southern countries... Um, but it's also when, when we talk to a friend, we maybe touch his or her arm or hand when we talk to each other, um, or we touch ourselves. Um, so we have this haptic component uh, in, in the communication. And then we may have an olfactory uh, component, meaning smell and, and taste. Um, this is not by means of that, that, that we lick each other's, but for example, we smell each other's and Uh, in German, uh, we have the expression um, "Ich kann ihn nicht riechen," which basically means "I cannot smell him." By means of "I don't like the well way he is smelling or she is smelling," and um, basically meaning um, "I don't know why, but I don't like this person." And this is an indicator that there is a certain olfactory component uh, in, in communication. And um, the human-to-machine communication will add um, these uh, channels that we have. So at the moment, we are very visual by the ways of uh, 
machine transfers information to the human so it's very often shown on displays on head-up displays we have blinking buttons so there is the visual channel used um, to transfer information from the machine to the human the haptic channel today is used uh, to transfer information from the human into the machine. Um, pressing buttons, uh, pressing things on a touchscreen, rotating knobs, um, flipping switches. This is all hap uh, happening on, on the haptic channel with our fingers um, that we use. Or if we use brake pedals, it's with our feet. So we use this channel very often to transfer information from the human into the machine. And then we have the acoustic channel today, um, often used for beep tones, for small language snippets. Um, also the other way around, from the user into the machine, uh, we have a certain amount of voice recognition um, that, that is possible. Um, so we're using that uh, in, in both ways. And then the olfactory channel is not yet really used. Um, there, there, from our point of view, there is a lot of room for innovation that, that we have in there. And um, we, will, we will expand this. So we will have a visual communication from the human into the machine. So the machine will have, for example, facial recognition. We will have in a car uh, fatigue warners. We will have... Uh, uh, machines, uh, picture recognition um, that, that see, okay, there is a driver, the driver is distracted, so he cannot drive, or the driver is fatigued, so, so she should not drive on. Um, but uh, also maybe the recognition of moods from a facial expression, all right, this driver is under stress, this driver is happy, this driver is singing, um, all this will be possible to adapt the car or any other device that we communicate with through uh, visual inputs. On the acoustic side, um, we are experiencing at the moment uh, in, in the automotive industry with the Mercedes MBUX or any other high-end navigation system that the speech exchange, uh, meaning um, the, the uh, I'm talking to the machine, machine talking to me, gets more and more human-like. I mean, the old um, uh, voice recognition systems, um, they forced the user to use a certain set of words, a certain wording, a very strict grammar, um, very limited expressions and uh, if you said destination instead of navigation the system just did not understand you and this is changing um, the uh, the system uh, is more flexible so if you say um, I'm freezing um, then the system replies hey it's two degrees more on the on the um, air condition good for you and you say yes or you know you get this more natural human interaction instead of saying um, uh, air condition temperature driver two degrees up which is a very unhuman not humanized way of communication so we will have these changes um, another driver for enormous changes into humanizing hmi is artificial intelligence 
Um, so AI will adapt the capabilities of the machines, the means of communication, the way of communication to the needs, the wishes, the dreams, the personal preferences of, of people. Um, it will also use the context of use cases, um, the entire context of use, the situation people are in, um, so that uh, um, AI will adapt uh, the capabilities. And at the moment, I am uh, kicking off a uh, uh, project funded by, by the German government where we analyze exactly that. What is the role of artificial intelligence in automotive HMIs? How will they differ? And, and the great thing about this project is, um, since it's uh, publicly funded, it will be public. So um, I will be able to talk about uh, what we do there and uh, um, the progresses and, and the results. The second thing um, that I see as a future trend for human-machine interfaces is liquid HMIs. A bit about the background to get a better understanding what I mean with uh, liquid HMIs. If you look back in the automotive uh, HMI uh, development, and um, I started working in this area in 1995-1996, so... 25 years ago, um, I joined a small software startup called CAA uh, in early 1999. And uh, with that, we had the idea we're going to write HMIs for automotive applications. We write the entire software for that. And we did it for companies like Audi or BMW. But most of the OEMs, most of the car makers at that time, Uh, they said, uh, go go to the suppliers. Um, I mean, go to the Siemens, Contis, Harmons, Igenes of this world. They, they are designing the HMI. We are just buying the navigation systems. We are just buying these uh, devices, uh, these, these uh, radio combined with telephone, combined with navigation, combined with whatever. We just buy these devices at our suppliers, so go there. Then um, a few years later, 2003-4, the entire thing turned around 180 degrees. That was the moment when the car makers realized we will not get rid of these screens again. So they are there, they will remain, they will grow, they will get a more prominent uh, position on the dashboard and in the entire cognition of a vehicle, recognition of a vehicle, in the entire interaction between driver and, and car, these devices will play a super prominent role in the future. And that was the moment when the OEMs, the car makers said, well, it's our business. We move it to our side. And uh, the, so that, that turned the entire arena around. And um, the, the uh, look at it and who, who is defining the HMI, who is designing it was is on the side of the OEM today and they see this and this is correct uh, as part of the interior design of a car and if you look at the latest uh, developments um, like the, the new Mercedes S-Class or um, the, the MUX of Mercedes uh, and, and like in the A-Class um, 
you see that that uh, this super prominent uh, interaction is is uh, driven by 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 the OEM and is as part of the branding is as part of the interior and uh, so it is part of the core competence of an of a mafia vehicle manufacturer The second tendency um, that uh, happened over um, pretty much the same time frame uh, as past 25 years. Um, for us HMI designers, um, designing an automotive HMI was always some kind of bottleneck design. How can we squeeze more information onto the screen? How can we make this visual, visible in the car? How can we make it safe to use? How, how, many, how, how big do it needs fun to be, wants to be? How many different words or expressions or graphics can I put on a screen? That turnaround with um, displays becoming cheaper and cheaper. Um, we have some cars like the Byton, for example, with a pillar-to-pillar -pillar display. So we have enormous amounts of real estate. And instead of designing for a bottleneck, um, we today design for structure, we design for content, we design for the user and around the user. And for me, sometimes the question is, I mean, I have these enormous amounts of, of screen space. How do we use it in a smart way? How can we make the user benefit from, from these huge screens that, that we see appearing in cars? And the next step following these two trends I just described is um, that uh, the HMI will become location independent. The Internet of Things, the connection of different devices to the Internet, allows the exchange of information between these devices. And um, so we can, we can steer our car from the smartphone Uh, we can uh, steer our home or smart home technology from our cars and we can steer everything from a tablet or a PC. So we can control technologies from remote positions. So the control of technology becomes location independent. And this exactly is what I mean with HMIs are becoming liquid. They leak out of the car device into other devices. So, the, for example, the automotive OEMs that have this strong standing, say, the HMI of an infotainment system, of the ADA system, of all these systems in a car, um, they are part of our interior design and we have the control over it. Uh, they will lose their position in the next years so they will lose the controllability over the hmi we will have alternative end devices and at the moment we see some oem related apps um, that allow me to preheat my car in the winter or to to control the the, the fuel level in, in in my car um all this is possible all this is not really rocket science as of today and and it's not really part of of the car hmi But this will change and uh, maybe I can uh, control things in the car from the smartphone, from outside the car from the smartphone. Um, I can, I can uh, that's a clear trend that I will be able to control more and more functions from remote devices. And suddenly 
um, we are having devices, we're having HMIs, we're having um, contacts, use cases, all the hardware, all the design that is not fully under the control of the car maker anymore. But that is moving to a more flexible environment, uh, to, to more flexible multifunctional devices like smartphones and tablets, where a car maker is not having full control. And um, suddenly people will use automotive HMIs in contexts uh, where we don't know where they are, how they are, um, are they sitting, standing, lying, um, are they focused, are they not focused? Um, I mean, we just don't know this. And um, so part of the HMIs will leave the its original position, become location independent, and with that it will become liquid. The third trend, um, that's augmented reality or mixed reality HMI, AR or XR HMIs. What happens uh, is um, that we, with technology, we overlay the real, the analog world with a digital world. So data by itself uh, is usually not visible. So we have these zeros and ones, the bits and the bytes, and they're in, in, in computing devices, and they're in cables, and, and they're processed there. And uh, but, but we don't really know uh, what's happening there. We cannot see it with our natural senses. So this is the digital part. But the real world, the analog world, the world we are living in, we are uh, standing, running, sleeping driving cars in, um, that, that is an analog world. And we can see at least um, the parts um, we believe are relevant in this one. So we have our visual impressions, we have acoustic impressions, we have haptic olfactory impressions from the real world. And augmented reality then allows to overlay this analog real world with digital information with data transferred into some kind of screen design, some kind of graphics, uh, lists, whatever, and I can texts and I can overlay the two. And um, I mean, um, uh, XR, mixed reality is pretty much the same. So let's focus on, on, on augmented reality where I augment the real world with a digital world. What we experience here is a fusion of the analog and the digital world. And we can uh, combine the best of both worlds uh, to make the best possible user experience, to raise the level of usability, to bring HMIs, human-machine interfaces, to totally new levels uh, of, of quality. What we do with this overlay, if we do it well, is enriching the reality. We make the invisible visible. And the invisible may be things we don't see in the, in the real world. For example, if um, you as a driver enter a, a highway or a German autobahn, um, 
you are driving on a separate lane on the very right side. Then on the right lane of the main autobahn, main highway, is a truck. And behind the truck is a motorbike driver. And the truck is fully covering the motorbike. So you, as the person in the car that wants to enter the autobahn, uh, you are not able to see the motorbike driver because it is behind the truck. And if you have some information available that there is a motorbike behind the truck, you can use augmented reality to display, maybe in the, in the side window, in your left side window or on the windscreen, hey, there is an unknown, unidentified uh, vehicle behind the vehicle you can see. Please take care if you enter the autobahn, um, don't crash into the motorbike. So with this one, you have a clear uh, race in safety on roads when you make the invisible visible. But it's also, you may not be able to see an icy road in front of you. You may not be able to see an accident in front of you because it's behind a curve. And um, the augmented reality can indicate that to you and saying, hey, drive carefully, yeah, maybe on a head-up screen that's close to your line of sight, saying, crash in front of you. There are cars parked. There's. And so, uh, again, you can make the invisible visible. But it can also be for entertainment purposes, for example. You pass by, uh, when you drive on, on a German road in an old castle, and then the augmented reality device Uh, gives you information on this was built in 1200 something and the first one living there was such and such and today it is a museum and the opening times of the museum are such and such and so on and so on. So again, information you do not have and you cannot see uh, become visible as an overlay, as a digital overlay over the real world. So you can use this for, for education, for hazard alerts, uh, for attention control. You can steer the attention um, of, of the driver. I mean, the use cases for augmented reality and mixed reality HMIs are enormous. Um, it expands our senses. It expands our vision, first of all, but maybe other, other senses as well in, in the future. And um, so we can have a safer, better, more educated, more entertained uh, drive in the future. Okay, in this uh, episode, I have talked about the three trends on uh, HMIs and HMI technologies. The first uh, trend I was talking about is the interaction with technology will be more human, will be more humanized, will get closer and closer to a human-to-human -human communication. The second trend is HMIs will be liquid. Um, they're becoming, they're leaking out of the original devices into other devices. And uh, so you can control everything with every device at the very end. And the big problem is that uh, an HMI designer um, does not know what will this device be like, where will it be used and how will it be used. But we have this liquidity of, uh, of, of HMIs. 
And the third trend I was talking about is augmented reality. That will be the next big innovation. We will overlay real world and digital world. We will make the invisible visible by making digital information uh, overlaid or by overlaying digital information onto the real world. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.